It's the Long Come Norwich podcast, a long-standing labyrinthine lair of lampoonable opinions. I'm Tom, and I'm joined by ACN Tribe members John and Maddie, and we welcome the return of someone who was quite good last time, so we asked him back, Adam Brandon. Tonight, we'll look ahead to the end of the foreign transfer window this Friday, uh, the trip to Rotherham this weekend, and we'll rustle the ACN mailbag before getting dirty with the quiz. Firstly, let's invite Adam to give us his informed opinion on which Canary Stars may be staying or going in the next two days. Will your eyes be set on uh, Norwich International Airport? Adam, uh, what do you expect to happen before the Rotherham game? I guess that most of us will probably be refreshing the Norwich Airport screen on Thursday and Friday to see if there's any flights going out of it, as is tradition now, I think, um, on social media on transfer deadline day. Um, yeah, obviously, as a huge um, cheerleader of Emi Buendia, I'm, I'm absolutely desperate for him to stay. Um, I think that he is key to Norwich having a, a, a good season this this year. And I think we've already seen seen that sort of play out in the, in the first few games. Although, of course, in the one game he did start, we did end up losing. But I thought... We maybe we'll come on to that later, but I thought that was our brightest performance so far. So I think I think it looks like as as we speak right now on what Tuesday afternoon, that both Todd and Emmy are gonna be with us for the season. I, I personally think that's great news. Wouldn't want to lose either of them. If I had to choose, it would it would be Todd and, and Leeds, it looks like have expressed some interest there. Um but yeah, aside from those two, you know, can we keep Max? That's looking increasingly likely. You know, the one good thing about um, the Max Aaron situation is that there is so many good right backs out there already. So it's not like um, it's it's not like a situation with maybe some other positions like where we had to lose Godfrey because there's a bit of a shortage of of great centre backs who can um, progress the ball as well as as Ben Godfrey can, whilst there's quite a few right-backs in, in the game at the moment, especially in the Premier League, who can do sort of a similar role to what some what Max offers. So, yeah, obviously keeping those three, I think, would be great. And, uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on the matter? Well, I'm very keen on trying to keep hold of, of Emmy. Um, I also have said... Well, I, I said at the end of last season, I, I did feel that, that this could be a season where Todd really, really kicks on and, and massively increases his value. And I, I thought there were some really bright spots in, in the first game. And to be honest, I, I feel the whole the whole team just looks completely out of, out of, not out of shape, but uh, out of kilter and off kilter and not various, the kilter is not, is not as kiltering as it should be. Um, I'm... I'm one of those who, who thinks that we could lose one of Todd and Emmy and still have a very successful season. I actually think that it would solve a problem for Farker in terms of, I don't think he necessarily has shown that he deals with competition brilliantly. Um, and perhaps he might have a similar thing to what happened with Madison before, where um, you know losing one focal point maybe makes it clearer what the path and what the formation needs to be, etc. around that. You, know, you could argue that. Um, if we lose both of them, then I think very, very quickly the, the the negative parts of the first four games, of which there are plenty, start to be more in the foreground and harder to excuse, and, and it starts to be a bit more worrying. Um, what about you, Maddie? Do, what, let's do some actual predictions. Uh, how many of those two of our crownest of jewels 
going forward, Todd and Emmy, do you think they'll both stay, one will go, or, or, or they'll both go? I think it's been unusually quiet on the transfer front over the last few days. We haven't really heard anything, and the journos who are usually in the know have been quite quiet as well. I think... Obviously, Todd Cantwell's been very active on his Instagram at the moment, you know, saying, oh, you know, Norwich is the club I'm born and bred at, heads down, let's go. And, and certain people have bought into it and seem to think, oh, he's totally on board. I think, to be perfectly honest, if Leeds come in for him, he's gone. I think he's much more likely to leave than Emmy. I think Max stays 100%. I can't see him going anywhere at the moment. And I definitely think that he's he's handled it so well. I'm really impressed with, I mean, he's my age. And to think that he's been linked with Barcelona and Bayern Munich and, you know, these top clubs and he's just got his head down and been a model professional. I, I don't even understand how he can do that. But I think he'll definitely stay. And Todd, out of him and Emmy, uh, uh, is the most likely to leave. I think I'd be sadder to lose Emmy than Todd, as Adam said, because I think Emmy is a lot harder to replace than a player like Todd. So, I mean, yeah, what we've only got three days left to go. So I think it's just edge of the seat stuff until then. What about you, Punt? Are you going to uh, put your neck on the line to guarantee long-come Norwich listeners uh, that they don't need to worry or, or be refreshing Twitter come come Thursday, Friday? Um, I think it depends on the desperation of some Premier League clubs. And we've already seen that West Ham have, have started to make moves. And West Ham are very much uh, um, end of the window. Oh, shit, we haven't done any tangible business. Let's see who we can go and sign. And it looks like they're in for Ben Rama. I don't know if that move has stalled or whether that's that's going to happen or not. But if that doesn't happen, they're then looking at a backup of potentially, I don't know if it's a backup or an as well as Josh King from Bournemouth, which would be good. You know, both of those um, going out would be good for Norwich and our promotion prospects. But if neither of them did, um, you'd have to think that, that their kind of scouting network would be looking at, at players like Emmy Buendia and would be looking at players like Todd Cantwell. Um, I think I'm in a place now where I think it's probably best for all parties that, that Todd Cantwell goes as much as I really like the guy. And I, I don't get um, all the pelters that he gets on social media. I just, I don't understand that. You know, he's, he's a young man with a lot of money and a Puma deal and fair play to him. If he wants to do all that on social media, then I've really got, I haven't got that much of an issue with it. Um, but he hasn't actually been that good for us, you know, kind of since probably, December time. Um, so, you know, short of that goal against Manchester United, I'm not so sure. Uh, you know, he's, he's played a couple of games since we've been back. I don't really think he's been at the races in those either. It looks like his head's been turned. If we keep him and he gets his head down, brilliant. Um, but I certainly wouldn't be bothered if he did go. Emmy Wondier is a completely different prospect. I think if we lose Emmy and we don't replace him adequately, I, I, I can't see us being anywhere near top two and potentially not top six either if we do sell Buendia especially for anything less than 30 million um you know basically I've always defended um what the club did last season with uh, and and defended majority of the actions Weber made um but you know if if we sell Buendia as well as the players we've already sold and especially if we sold uh, the other two as well in this coming week then really last season does look pointless um, because you know we'll we'll be back to where we were a couple of years ago on the field anyway I appreciate that off the field it it would it would be a lot brighter financially but I don't know it's it it would be a lot of work for Farker to do all over again um, 
if if if, if we lose Emmy, I feel. Well, okay. So go, going back to Todd then, and the question I was going to ask was, you know, you you've, two of us have said that they'd be happy, happier and you know at at peace relatively if 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 Todd were to go. So let's set the let's set the over under at thirteen and a half million. Um, would you? Uh, how many of you would say okay if that was the price that he went to Leeds for? No, I wouldn't be happy with that. I think in even in today's market where you know you you're talking about Ben Rama. Um, potentially moving on for, I think the the fee is they're talking about thirty million pounds. There's no way that that we should be looking at anything less than than fifteen and probably getting towards twenty million. I think if Jamal Lewis, who's a you know really talented um, fullback, is going for roughly fifteen million pounds, then English attacking midfield talent definitely needs to be upwards of that. Yeah, I agree with completely with what John said. Yeah, I think we're in a really difficult situation at the moment because obviously in the pandemic, you know, prices have dropped. And we're the kind of club that will need to say, okay, if you want to pay us under our asking price, as long as it's reasonable, we'll have to take it because they've been quite honest about the holes they have to fill. But yeah, I would say definitely upwards of that. As John says, you know, he's an English talent. He's an attacking talent. In today's market, we should be looking at 20 million or upwards. Okay, so going back to the um, to where we find ourselves in this transfer window, I think Anna made an interesting point about um, last season potentially being uh, a waste of time if we if we end up with a certain amount of talent on the pitch. Now, off off the field, the club are uh, very healthy from a facilities point of view and have invested in infrastructure. Um, the squad, as it seems at the moment, is is basically the seventeenth best squad in the league. So we're a long way short of our of our top twenty six in England. Um, uh, idea we're 11, 11 places beneath that um, and the, the performances I've seen they don't deserve to be top half in the championship for over 90 minutes worth of performances if, if you if you add up what they've actually what they've actually produced and, and particularly how well they've how, how easily they've been managed by, by teams that they've they've been against so um, well, I disagree there yeah well, I disagree I well, disagree sure strongly we'll well, uh, you, you tend you tend to need to you need tend to, need to score goals and, and and get points and not be too easy to defend against. And um, out of four games, we've uh, our results have, have have led to us being and we haven't exactly played as it appears any of the big boys um, who are going to be up up there and thereabouts. I, I was personally I'm not fussed at all about who goes from Bournemouth. I thought they were dreadful, utterly ordinary team that we played. Um, and again, they comfortably managed us. Um, so, so yeah, what, what makes you think that uh, actually a team that's currently in 17th um, after an initial dismal first four games actually is is looking really positive and we should be optimistic? Adam, well, do you want to go first here and then I'll chip in? <laughs> well, I, I, just, I just think that the, the language you're using is just far too um, extreme, like dismal. I, I haven't, not even though I thought that the... Re- the positive reaction to our display against Bournemouth for example was over the top it was too positive because for me in that game that was the one game out of the four where I didn't think we ever looked like winning Um, but overall I I think it's been um, a case of if you play the four matches we've played so far if you if you played them over and over I think you know at least sort of seven times out of ten, we, we would have a lot more points than than we currently have, and and that's kind of a similar deal to what happened a couple of years ago. I know that there's like a lot of pushback on this idea that you shouldn't um, you shouldn't compare 
compare it to the situation two years ago. And I certainly take the point that we had a much harder start as well two, two years ago. But, you know, when I looked into the stats um, of, you know, the deep stats into how we were playing in those first four games um, two years ago and how we played in the first four games this this you know, this year, it really hasn't been um, that much of a, of a difference. Um, you know, we are creating a little bit less, but on the other hand, we're, we're conceding quite a number of, uh, we're not conceding a great number of chances like we did a couple of years ago either. Um, so the differential there is actually sort of in our favor this time around. Um, yeah, but the passing is very similar, although this time in the first four games this season, our passes into, uh, the final third and our forward passes in general are a in greater quantity and b with greater accuracy so if you keep repeating these steps in this division over uh, and over the course of time it, you you should just naturally start picking up points there has been exceptions in the championship in the last couple of years of where the stats showed that a team should improve and then they and they still didn't stoke under nathan jones is one of them probably the most high-profile example in the last couple of years of a side where the stats said that they would improve, but they never did. Um, but I'm still hopeful that looking at the the stats in, in, in detail, that the processes are there, that the results should follow um, soon. But, yeah, I, I, do, I do accept that there's quite a few intangibles involved and I said this when I wrote a season preview for this season as well, that, you know, that, that we can't put, that we can't really put a price on. Um, so, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But I'm not, I, I don't think it should be all doom and gloom at the moment, especially if we keep Emmy um, and and he gets up to speed in this division. A lot, of the, a lot of the good things that we're doing at the moment will start to come off, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with that. And I think I think you've probably been a little bit, well, you are definitely not even a little bit being a bit facetious, Tom, in, in kind of saying, well, we're the 17th best team in the league. I mean, you can't judge that based on on four games. But for me, there is there is a little bit of crossover between 18 and 19, but the main difference is expectation. So this time, two years ago, none of us expected to, to go on and, and, you know, kind of challenge at the top of the league. This time this season, there's quite a few Canaries fans who who do just expect us to be top two, top six, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, we need to be getting ourselves back in the Premier League. It's I, I saw a lot of encouraging signs in areas of the pitch for over the last two games. So whilst I wouldn't say that the performances have been at a level where I'd be happy for that to continue for the remainder of the season, I think there's mitigation. And the, the obvious mitigation for me is that actually we need to get beyond the transfer window closing because our for me you look throughout that 11 and i don't think there's many fans that would disagree probably with the exception of lucas rook in terms of the selection aside from the three in behind timu puki and that you know there there's been a, a little bit of dalliance by farker to you know kind of choose different players potentially because of the fact that they're not putting in in training potentially the fact that he's still trying to find the right formula to be able to to unlock defenses but that for me if we can get that right and that's the thing that we really got right in 1819 I think we'll be fine we'll be we'll be absolutely fine and 
it was kind of heartwarming for me to see, and as much as we didn't create enough chances to win the game, but he kind of got the band back together um, for the last game. And it, we did have a Steeperman in the 10, which was probably because there was no other viable options, but we did have Emmy Buendia on the right. We had Hernandez on the left. That should be enough against most teams in this division to be able to create enough chances once this team clicks. Yeah, so as you quite rightly pointed out, Punt, I'm, uh, I, don't, I don't think if, if Adam, if this was face-to-face podcast, Adam could have seen the wry smile when I was bigging up how miserable the first four games have been. Um, I'm, you know, end of the day, there's not much to get angry about or too happy about. So an, an early season podcast, you have to try and drum up a bit of interest by, by swinging one way or the other. Um, yeah, it's, look, it's, been, it's been disappointing, the points return. Um, and going back to what I, what I said earlier on, um, I think that if Emmy and and or Todd go, um, if you know if there is one or two more disappointments in terms of sales in the next two or three days, I, I stand by what I said before, which is it goes from a well that's a disappointing return, but there's been some positive signs to that's been a positive return. There were some positive signs, but now we're a couple of our best players short, um, and it starts to mean that the positive signs you have to look a little bit harder for. Now the good news is, um, you know the games. Uh, albeit we've just come out of an international break, games will be coming thick and fast for us to very, very quickly make it look like a, a phenomenal start to the season, just like we did after the, the, the Leeds 3-0 in eighteen nineteen. Now, the other thing that you, you it's difficult to compare eighteen nineteen to now um, is that we think of all of the windows that have been and gone between that and the amount of Premier League football um, that, that has now been played by that team. So in theory, we should be in a much bit better position. Um, it's interesting that you, you can't necessarily argue that that Farker should have his style more ingrained, you know, kind of one and a half years on from eighteen nineteen, because there seems to be this discussion point that's gathering pace that um, he is ha- he is now trying to create a team that will both go up and stay up rather than go up and be naive in in the prem. So okay. He needs to be given more time. Maddie, I'll bring you in here because um, it's fair to say you're you're relatively positive about Farker, and he would probably need to kind of, you know, knock your house down and and and, uh, and settle your um, uh, belongings on fire until you'd have a problem with him. Um, what do you think is what do you think he he needs to to show in these next few games to get some of the doubters um, to be as kind of evangelical about him as, as you are? I think. After the last match, I said in our little group chat, you know, I think we're so close. In the first 20 to 30 minutes we had of the last match, we had the first flashes of Farker ball that we'd seen in weeks. And it was really promising. And, you know, I was going over the top and saying, this is it. We're going to score five. We're going to score six. And then suddenly something clicked and we just seemed to lose it. So I don't. I I feel like there's one small ingredient that he needs to get right. Maybe that's, you know drilling it into our attacking four that they don't need to be afraid to shoot. Maybe it's to get Quintilla to stop with the crosses and take it in more centrally. Should we start Hugo instead of Pookie or with Pookie? I don't know. But I think we are the team suffering with the biggest hangover from last season. I think Bournemouth and Watford have been able to get over that shock and kick on. And of course, all the other championship teams are okay as well. So I think with the international break and having our international players away and then taking some time with the non-internationals. So he's got Todd and Emmy, who've been the problematic two, just at Coney with him for the next two weeks. I think he still has the dressing room. I don't think there's any problems with the players. So I think the players still have that belief in him. And if he can get the players on his side, he doesn't need the fans on his side. Because as long as they'll play for him, it 
you know, not to piss people off, but it doesn't really matter what we think because as long as they're still going out on the pitch and saying, I believe in him, I, I believe in his philosophy, I want to play for him, I think that's all that matters because that's when we start scoring goals, that's when we start producing the performances. So as long as he finds that last spark, that one little thing that makes it all click, I just think we're very, very close to getting it all sorted. I think if we didn't have a rusty Emmy, then uh, that that will that will deal with that last little spark that you mentioned, Maddie. Um, you know, if if it, you know and he's only just kind of got going this season and then he stopped straight away again. You know, if, if we if we have an Emmy who's even um, seventy to to eighty percent of what he's capable of, and he plays most of the season with us, uh, other than the the two um, you know, suspensions that he definitely will get, um, and uh, you know maybe one very short term slight injury knock. That that should be enough uh, to go back to to Punt's point before. That will un- unlock enough defenses to to get us to the the eighth ish that was pretty much on our preview pod. What what was the consensus was we would expect to, for Norwich to finish this season. Um, and and yeah, in, in terms of being being the doubter, being the doubter, and and I I'm, I, I revel in in trying to give a voice to the 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 non Pant wetter, um, but still um, legitimately concerned. Parts of, of the timeline, the long come Norwich timeline. Um, yeah, I, I think that it's not a doubt of, of him. It's not a doubt of um, Norwich being able to have success this season. Um, I think I, even though I tried to talk my expectations down a bit, and, and, I, and I did think that top eight would be where I expected us to be, I think I didn't expect us to look quite as hangovery as we have. And I think you're completely right, Maddie, that it's it's been noticeable that maybe we haven't played with the shackles off as much as we hoped. And even with all of those new faces into the team, we, we don't, we, we're not playing with that same vim vigour and kind of um, that real uh, skip in our step that, that we would like to, to see the players playing with. And so, Adam, look, looking ahead to um, uh, Saturday, uh, you know, it's it's never a good start to the season if you're, if you're travelling to Rotherham, who are five places above you in the table. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop doing it now. Uh, but looking ahead, looking ahead to, to, to going up to, to mighty Rotherham. Uh, what do you think he'll do with the team? Will it be? And I love that term from Punt. You know, will, will the band stay together, um, or, or will he look to, to bring in some, some new backing singers? Don't know. Well, history suggests that for this sort of game, um, Farker quite often actually likes to go with sort of uh, the likes of Pookie and and Emmy and. And Todd, you know, to to play round sort of the the big uh, the big uh, opposition, the big physical op- opposition. Um, so I, I suspect he'd do that again, although it wouldn't be a huge surprise. Have have with the results gone? Have they with the results we've had so far? If if suddenly Hugel did appear in the starting lineup, from the glimpses I've seen of Hugel, if if we're going to get the best out of him, then yeah. Then we then we need to continue down the road of uh, Kindia, you know, putting those crosses in. Um, personally, I'm not not being a huge fan of that, especially in the in the last couple of games. I think that is one area of the side that definitely needs looking at. Because although I like overall what Kindia's offered so far, this whole just putting crosses in the box isn't really what we've seen from Farker teams. And although I'd like us to mix it up, at the moment we're just putting the ball into no one a lot of the time. So, yeah, 
that's, that's a tricky one. And against Rotherham, I can't see that tactic working very well, personally. So, yeah, I hope that he does go for sort of the, the, the band which is currently in place with maybe Todd added in there as well, if his head is is on right this week. So, John, John would you go Todd for, for Steepy? Uh, no, I think I'd continue with Steeperman. I think if we get him anywhere near the 18-19 Marco Steeperman and there was flashes of it um, last time out, then then I think we're really on to a winner. And actually, given the fact that Kieran Dowell is, is out probably until January, I think we need a, a proper number 10. I don't think Todd's a number 10. I genuinely don't. I think he's going he's gonna to have to drift in from wide and he can occupy central areas and he'll do better in central areas when he's kind of not playing as a 10 because, you know, he's drifted away from his natural marker. So I I, I would be tempted to to start Todd if his head is on, but probably on the left. It's it's interesting what Adam was saying about Kintyre and, and not throwing crosses into the box because I think maybe it's the type of crosses that he's thrown into the box that, that I have more of an issue with rather than the fact that there's so many crosses that are going into the box. Probably yeah. one of my main criticisms of, of Jamal Lewis, as much as I love the guy, was that you know he would stop and he wouldn't throw a, a cross into the box and he'd check back and you know he'd be looking for a, a central midfield player to kind of progress the ball in in different ways where sometimes you just think flash that across the near post yeah. Timmy Pookie will make that run you know I've seen him make that run and and get onto a Jamal Lewis cross and and score goals and it's it's almost like you know we need to be working with Kintyre and I think this is the thing here we're four games in with a left back that we know can cross the ball and deliver really good set pieces so. You know, Farka hasn't really had that much time to to work with him and and to make sure that the crosses are in the right areas. And, and hopefully, after an international break, we'll see a bit a bit more of that. Because I'd be sticking with Puki. I think you know, if we get a couple of goals out of him in the next you know kind of three or four games, then then he'll be off and flying again because he doesn't he he doesn't actually look in in my mind that he's suffering from much of a hangover as much as some players around him anyway. It just seems to be a confidence thing. We just need something to click with him, and, and, and I think he'll be away. He looks sharp-ish again. So no, I mean, I, I'd personally, I, I'd be going for a, a relatively similar lineup um, that we saw last time, and, and I think that 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 will that will be enough. And, and as Adams alluded to, I think we, we'll be looking to out football Rotherham, and I think we should have enough. What a heady ambition, out-footballing Rotherham. <laughs> I, I, I feel that, I, yeah, I agree with what John said there about the type of crosses as well. And, and I do feel that with how much uh, Farker likes to keep his fullbacks high, I always feel that they could you know, drive on to the byline a little bit more and look for cutbacks. You know, that is something that um, certainly leads and Sheffield United to two teams that you know have performed better than us in the in the Premier League well Leeds you know their season might fall apart at some point but at, at the moment you know that that's something they do quite well you know get get their fullbacks higher and and to, and to drill crosses across the box from the byline or 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 centrally you know in level with the box so yeah it, yeah I do agree with John there but it's also about the type of cross well, Hugel's only played 16 minutes in the league so far. Um, I've um, obviously Ida seems to be ahead of him, um, uh, but but what with the uh, Ida's recent medical whoopsie, um, has he is he still completely ruled out this weekend? No, no, he's back in the Republic of Ireland squad, so I oh. think he should be available for selection this weekend. Oh, okay. Did he do a negative test then? 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah, oh, I think he, and he's followed their pro. I think they've. The, it sounded like the Irish protocols were a bit stricter than the English ones as well. So, but yeah, he's back in the fold. Okay, well, another country dealing with coronavirus better than England shock. Um, right, okay. So go back to what I was saying. So Hugo, yeah, only played 16 minutes in the league. So it would be quite a big leap for him to suddenly, you know, go over Ida and, and Puki and Star. Um, but for, for me, with, with, the, with the, it's almost like Quintia wasn't told um, that Hugo wasn't on the pitch for the number of crosses and the types of crosses he was putting in. I, I've really enjoyed the set piece delivery improvement that we've seen this season. Um, and and that's something that I feel that, that Hugo definitely can can have an impact on. Um, we, we've uh, It's been a, a relatively rip-free zone, um, so let's ruin that now. Um, uh, Maddie, I'd love you to tell the ACN listeners uh, your opinion on Lucas and why he should or shouldn't start uh, retaining his place on Saturday. I thought in pre-season Lucas Rupp was quite a frustrating player because he would either play a pass that makes you think that's absolutely fantastic or he'd put it out for a corner on the halfway line under absolutely no pressure. I think playing in his natural position alongside Skip, he actually looked really comfortable, didn't offer very much going forward, but then nobody really did. So I was a lot more impressed with him playing alongside Skip. He looked a lot happier. He looked, he looked full of confidence and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that people have suddenly gotten on board the hype train for Rupp. I think it's just, you know, commendation for a player who's doing well. And he was definitely a scapegoat at the end of last season. Things were so miserable and people were just looking for anyone and anything to target. So, yeah, I don't think he was great last season, but I really think he's improved. And I think, although it might be nice to have a more creative player alongside Skip for those games where we do need to go away and grind out a point, you know, against maybe Brentford or Rotherham or a team like that, I think him and Skip could be quite solid defensively together. We we didn't look fragile defensively in the last match as we potentially have done over the last year. So I think he could be really interesting, really one to watch over the next few games. Well, he's very busy. Uh, he's a very busy player. Um, I I personally wasn't as enamoured with, with the most recent performance that he was getting applauded. I mean, I thought he was fine. You know, I just thought he was fine. Um, not really noticeable. Uh, and I, I can't help but compare him to, you know, the members of the band that, that we already know we like. Um, and d- don't think he offers us as much as Francis. We talked last pod about, you know, Francis maybe not being a, a, as mobile or as busy and maybe not as good in the tackle, although he's definitely improved on that than when he first came. I, I didn't see putting people up in the air, putting people in row Z. I, I feel that if you've got Skip in to do that, um, then, then realistically there shouldn't be many teams in this league really um, that we need to be so worried that we need to put two encamped, busy, hassling CDMs in there for. Um, we, no, we didn't need it two years ago. I can't see why we would need it now. Tom, I'm going to shock you and say that I agree with you, what you just said there. Yeah, I, I think if we go if we go back to what you said, Punt, about the, the steepy elements and if we can get him back, I am actually, if you remember, Steeperman was nearly as polarising as, as Rupp, although Rupp is not so much polarising because I think it's still about 80-20 in the unsure versus sure mm-hmm. camp on him. Um, but I actually think Steeperman was similar. Um, Steeperman had that game, um, you know, what Steeperman reminded me of when he played, you know, in the, in the last game, and it was great to see him again, was he had that kind of typical Steeperman game where he would 
try three or four things and you think, why are you trying that? You're not good enough to do that. And then you would try it a third time and it would come off and it would actually be a chance. And you go, oh no, you are able to do that, but just not all the time. And he's so unconventional the way he approaches things. And whilst Rupp is nowhere near as unconventional and ungainly almost as, as Steepy is, it may well be that he ends up having that kind of season where he grows on us because, oh, okay, you just go about your business in a slightly different way and, and actually you, you are going to grow into the team and you're more of a grower rather than an, an immediate kind of impact player. And, you know, I won't write any any player off ever. I, I think that you're completely right, Maddie. He did get more more of the brunt than he would have got if he was if he had a bad first few months in an average team, he probably wouldn't have been as much derided as he was because he had a bad few months in a terrible team. And people maybe had built up more affection for some of the players who were letting us down um, than, than him. You know, he didn't have the brownie points in the bank for us to kind of go, go, go up, not to go after him. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I still I, I still haven't seen enough from him to, to have him over some of the other players. But Farker continues to stick with him, so he must be doing something in training that that is um, that is keeping us, you know, keep keeping his place in the team. Um, so, John, just to just to kind of round off on 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 Rotherham, it's time to to put our prediction hat on. Um, what so far, I think we've got a grand total of of, of zero correct results um, and score lines. What what are you what are you saying is going to be the score on uh, on Saturday? Um, I think let's go with another 18-19 comparison. I think we'll replicate that result and we will win 2-1 and we'll score off a set piece much like Ben Godfrey did. So let's have a, a Zimmerman header towards the end to win the game. Uh, my new uh, my new best friend who agrees with everything I say, Adam, what are you saying on Saturday? I was going to say the same score, 2-1. Um, is that allowed? Of course yeah. it is. Yeah, because yeah. it won't happen. It, it, all, all it means is it definitely won't happen because now that's two two people are going to be wrong. Um, uh, Maddie, I'll yeet it up and go for three one. I think we're going to score a really dodgy goal from. Cool. Well, my four nils haven't been coming in for me, um, so I'll just go for three nil this time to Norwich, um, and it's going to be one of those where uh, it, it it really we really do see the uh, all the doubt uh, and worry fall from our our, our eyes and and we we, we rock it up the table and, and everyone's feeling really really. <laughs> happy yeah. on their on Saturday and when, night. And when, that, and when that doesn't happen, you'll be the most out, outraged person on Twitter, Tom. Yeah, but that, that's what I really enjoy with Tom, is that he's usually the most negative person on the pod, but the most positive in terms of his match predictions. But that's so, because actually, that's because I'm an optimist. The, the point is, I'm, I'm an optimist in my preview and a I'm realist in, in my review. Yeah, now I'm very optimistic about what's going to happen, and then as soon as it doesn't doesn't match my probably over the top expectations, that's why I get so disappointed. But I mean, it's you know, I'm hoping that we're getting more stuff in the uh, in the ACN chat from from Maddie that we're going to score five, six, seven, and we're probably going to win the league by November. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping it's that kind of you know, because I've had a rough couple of weeks, so I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind something to really really cheer me up. That would be that would be super. Johnny, Johnny, John, John, punt, punt, punt. Please, can you give me some lovely, lovely mailbag questions? Yeah, we've had lots of questions. Lots of really good questions this week as well. So thank you. Very busy this week. Yeah, thank you. Very busy. Uh, First up, we all have... Oh, I like this. It's a Seinfeld reference, so most people won't get it. But this is from H.E. Pennypacker, who asks, Has Farker gone full Alex Neal? Has a traumatic Premier League experience irreversibly mashed up his brain box? Maddie, go on, start us off. Nah, uh, definitely not. I mean, he was making substitutions in, what, the 56th minute the other day? You know, so he, he's definitely shown that he can change and he can adapt. I think 
it would be a lot clearer if he'd gone fully like Alex Neal. Because when Alex Neal went, you had, you know, Tim Closer dropping off to the bench and Wes Houlihan having a strop. He looks comfortable. He doesn't look stressed to me. I think him and Weber have a plan. So, no, I'm not worried that he's gone full Scotsman. What do you make, Tom? Because I've seen I've seen some suggestion recently that, and I know you subscribe to this train of thought, that he doesn't particularly manage high-profile personalities particularly well, and that might be why he he struggled with with Cantwell and um, and Buendia recently. Are you still subscribing to that train of thought? Well, only because the evidence points directly to that. Um, I I've not had the uh, enjoyment of being a high profile or successful footballer managed by, by a manager. So I can't put myself in their shoes. I can only go by the, the testimony that we hear um, and from and the evidence that we see, which is if, if you have a really successful season, um, then, then Fark doesn't necessarily know what to do with you, uh, how to motivate you to kick on. Um, it's very, very clear that their no dickhead policy basically means we don't want anyone disagreeing with the manager or suggesting in any channels that his, his way isn't the way. And I totally understand that. I, from a cultural point of view, I get it. I get why you, particularly if you've got a younger squad, like you know they've been aiming for us to have, and you know we've really managed that in this most recent window, um, that you, you do really need the, the boss's voice to be the loudest and, and, and breaking up those cliques was important to, to, to them culturally when he came into the club. Completely follow the logic of it, whilst I didn't necessarily agree with some of the decisions. Um, I, 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 I'm afraid. To me, this this window suggests more to me that that he is that manager who doesn't necessarily know how to how to solve the problem of uh, a, a Todd Campwell, uh, an Emmy Buendia, someone maybe getting a bit above their station. Um, and I, I'm just I'm not a throw them under the bus publicly fan i i don't want that from my manager i i've never never subscribed to that being how i want my manager to deal with those situations and as far as i'm concerned uh there are lots and lots of ways of saying i think this is the best team to go this weekend um and toddy's on the bench to, to to tell us that he is he's left out because of the way he's training and i don't think that his head's in the right i just so send how a message else would you go about that how else would you go about that take him and put him on the bench put him on the bench and don't bring him on. And he knows privately this is exactly why that's happened. And I'm not saying you... Because then you're depriving somebody else who has trained well and deserves to be on the bench and plays on the bench. Uh, well, because I don't think... Well, I, fundamentally, I just don't believe that there is someone in the squad more likely to come on and change a game than Todd Campwell um, or Emi Buendia. Um, so I think it's... Um, you punish someone by saying you're not good enough to be in the starting eleven, but you're cutting your nose off to spite your face to not have a really talented individual to come on and say, I'll show you in the last 20 minutes. You know, that, that's a really powerful tool. I think it's one that was used against Tarak quite often. Um, you know, Warnock literally used his own kind of ego against him to, to make him to be a super sub and come on and, and change games. Uh, I, you know, again, it's, I, I've not been in that situation. I've not been a player who's had that man been managed that way. I've not been a manager of a, of a football team where I've had that problem. Um, I'm, I'm just saying that it's... It, it, he does seem to have that maybe Lambert style element to him, where his management may may be best suited to chip on shoulder, young and hungry, trying to prove a point. Maybe he's not well suited to. I've already pr- proved a point actually. Star players, and there's, there's no there's no problem with that because as long as you keep churning the squad, then you'll constantly have people to whom that that voice is fresh. Uh, and you see it in it's not just Norwich, it's not just Farco, I and mean, it's not a personal thing. Um, there are lots of coaches in lots of different sports who have a 
have a particular type of player that they really resonate with. And so they try and get more of that personality and more of that kind of place in their career into the squad. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting the comparison you make with, with Paul Lambert because League One, you, you look back on that and he, he completely ostracised Wes and, and Gary Doherty pretty early doors um, and then was able to reintegrate them really successfully. And we haven't really seen Farker reintegrate a player back into the fold as yet. And I wonder if that's, if that's something that he's going to want to concede and he's going to want to do. I think, if I'm honest... Emmy and Todd are different cases and, and he's he was very much dealing with that situation in isolation and he's made noises already. Norwich need to get to the end of this window and then we can properly assess actually where we're at in terms of being an effective team that, that's going to be able to to either compete in the championship or not. I think, you know, there's there's so much noise and, you know, it's obviously the mantra around the club is ignore the noise, ignore the noise. I don't think the players have been able to ignore the noise for the last six to eight weeks and and actually you know everyone's preoccupied with who's going to be here and who isn't out of the crown jewels we've lost two it's kind of starting to look like hopefully it will only be two you know kind of possibly max three and then I think we'll, we'll be in good shape so kind of on similar vein Phil the dice mechanic on Twitter asks what should Farker's priority be to put out a team that can romp the championship but doesn't have the chops to compete once it gets to the prem or to build a team that compete if it does get promoted, but might take a year or two to get there? Adam? Yeah, I really like this question, actually, when I saw it come through earlier. And probably the one I've been thinking about quite a bit, even before it was asked. Um, because I, I, I do think it's an interesting situation now, where I do kind of feel that going straight back up um, might be the worst possible thing. Um, in terms of if if we're looking to um, secure sort of Premier League status uh, for more than one year, if you look at like the teams who have managed to sort of bridge the bridge the gap to the Premier League, you know they've usually been teams that have been worked on um, in the Championship over a couple of seasons and sort of polished off. Where I think with Farker, although we did get up in his second year that team felt like a new one compared to the one the year before. So maybe I, but I think on the other hand, the problem we've got, we probably won't have Emmy for more than a year. <laughs> um, if he, if he does stay, if he does stay this year, you know, I can't imagine him staying two seasons in the championship, similar with Max, similar with Todd. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult balance. And, um, and I, and apart from say, you know, we we just say goodbye to those three and then just start all over again, and uh, and then build a side over a, a couple of years um, with Farker still in charge, that looks um, a little bit more defensively stable, um, and and not quite gung ho attacking wise. Then maybe maybe that's the best thing long term. But the problem is football supporters these days, especially you know, it's all of all very much about the here and now, isn't it? A lot, yeah. A lot of fans won't be patient enough to to see sort of basically a whole new project through, and also a lot of them, perhaps rightly, will feel that you know what the club said they would do in in the last few months isn't what they've ended up doing. You know, there was all this talk about, um, you know, we don't have to sell anyone, 
well, we've sold what three players already. So, you know, three key men already, and we've got another. And we've also been told sort of, oh, there was too much Deadwood in the squad a couple of years ago. Now we've got like a number of players who you know have no future at the club and don't look like they're going to get a move anywhere. Um, just hanging about. So there is like some contradictions with with the whole setup at the moment, and yeah. That is the that is the thing which worries me at the moment. And although I do feel that you know having two good seasons and the second season finishing with a promotion is probably best. That's the best way to go up. I think it's unlikely that we'll be able to do that because I think we're probably going to be losing any anybody decent after after the end of this year, judging mm. by the transfer activity which has already been done. Maddie, what do you reckon? I think, and you know, to be really, really boring here, the club had a five-year plan and then a pandemic hit. So everything that's happened now is because of COVID. And yes, before the pandemic, when it looked like we were going down in February, we didn't have to sell. We could have gone into the season with all of the players that we had in the Premier League and been perfectly happy. But, but do you think, do you think, just to stop you for a moment, do you think that really would have happened? Do you think that, you know, say, for example, the, the market would have been a bit more... Um, buoyant we'd have probably got a 20 million million pound offer for jamal lewis we'd have probably got a you know kind of upwards of 30 million pounds offer for ben godfrey the club have also been really candid in saying we're not going to stand in those players way so i think there would have been a a necessity to sell them anyway it's possibly just what what you're kind of talking about is the fact that we might not reinvest as much is is that what you're kind of getting at yeah i agree i think i still think they'd have been less likely to move I think I could see Farker getting them on board and saying, look, at the end of the day, we dropped down as a Premier from the Premier League because as a team, we weren't good enough. Here's an opportunity to go up, do it again, do it better with your team and with your teammates. So I think there is the potential that they could have stayed for longer. And perhaps that's naive. Perhaps they would have gone anyway. I mean, I know that there were rumblings about Ben Godfrey and Jamal Lewis wanting out months ago. And as you say, and as I've said, I definitely think we would have got... Um, a better fee and we would have perhaps been able to invest uh, higher sums of money and get a better value. But I just think we can't judge what's going on now along with the initial five-year plan. And the club have been so open and honest about our finances at the moment. You know, we are now essentially into a different plan, a new COVID plan. And supporters have to come to terms with that. We have to come to terms with the fact that it's not the rosy promised land that Stuart Webber said we were aiming for when he came in three years ago. It's different. And we have to adjust our expectations in line. And yes, perhaps that's, you know, that's not the optimistic Norwich should be a top, top club thing that people want to hear. But I think that's unfortunately the case for the next year, at least. Yeah, I think that's a fair comment, really. I don't think I can add anything that would, that would sound um, uh, decent off the back of, of those two two comments. Although I would say that it's quite a bleak uh, outlook that Adam has, has painted for it's basically if, if we if we do well we're fucked if we don't do well we're fucked so, well yeah. basically I'm ultimately the reality of a self-funding club though and I and I'm and I don't think a lot of people grasp that and I and then I you know we can probably do another whole podcast on you know what exactly do you want from your from your football club do you want owners that um you know are connected to the fans um, but you know, you go up and down. You have some good years, some fallow years, or you know, you have you risk getting in owners that 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 don't care about the club, um, don't care about the fans. You might have some success, you might not. It all depends 
Or if 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 you strike it lucky on the wheel of fortune, really, when it comes to if you look in our if you look in our mentions, then you'll see that uh, we get it wrong either way. If we if we're too positive, um, we get sworn at. If we are too negative, we get sworn at. Uh, you know what what was it that we were particularly what were we accused of this week? Punt. We had an app, we had some absolute belters in the last in the last few days. Some people have really gone at us. Yeah, what were they crossing us for again? To be fair. Well, we were they were, they were cross at us because I I'd kind of done probably an inflammatory tweet tweet about a, a, a all right I called him I you know kind of overtly called him a racist on the tweet but you know as a minimum the tweet was was pretty xenophobic and it was kind of it, essentially the thrust of it was that he was never going to return to the football club whilst the players were um were taking the knee in support of Black Lives Matter um so yeah I think we got accused of of having too many fancy meals at the club and, and, you know, kind of perhaps too many, I don't know, too many EDP appearances. I mean, you know, I'm not going to talk shit about Archant, but at the same time, you know, anyone can get their name in the EDP. It's, it's pretty easy. Just email them and then, and you know, they'll pick up any old story because they're, you know, they, they really want content. So I, I think you're right. There's loads of people in our mentions. I think that the bigger following you get, the, the more dickheads that will attach themselves to you and, and try and bring you down. And so we're, we're kind of victims we of that, aren't we? Massive. Really? Well, I don't, I don't know about that. Absolutely. But just, just to clarify, I was, I was a massive racist dickhead, like the person who was, uh, who was tweeting us. And then I had a few fancy meals at the club and then I realised that actually Black Lives Matter. I mean, it. it was, a, it, it was, it yeah, was well actually done, that really nice chicken dish that made me realise that, that actually we're all equal. Um, I mean, honestly, some of the tosh that, that, that is around with the the BLM movement and and the people's issue with um, with peaceful protest of any kind. Um, if you've got uh, j- just so that we are completely clear, um, if you've got a problem with the Norwich players taking a knee, um, then we, we don't actually really want you to listen to the podcast. We don't want you to click. Um, I mean, John would still take your money and buy merch because you know. <laughs> no, probably not. Actually, the the guy in question did used to buy our merch, and I'm really glad he yeah, doesn't. No, it, so no, we yeah, don't want it, your money it really, either. It really, we couldn't be clearer. If if you've got a problem with if you've got a problem with the the message behind that, um, but you know, and no, no, we're not asking for con- conspiracy theory, um, bullshit stuff being linked to, um, spurious articles linking it back to communism and all the rest of it. Look. It, it's a very, very simple message that that we are 100% behind. And uh, effectively, if you're not in the BLM gang, you're, you're not in our gang. And it's as simple as that. Well said. Well said. Well said, Mr. Parsley. Okay, one more question then. We'll have, and you can answer this one, Tom, centre-back situation. Now Tim Closer is out on loan and all the other centre-backs are quite prone to big injuries. Do we need another in? And I know... I immediately tweeted when Closer went to say, this is ridiculous, this is really daft, we need to get someone in. And I've kind of been talked down um, from that. But what are you thinking now? Well, I tweeted it as well. I, 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 can't, I can't believe there won't be... I can't believe they're not going to try and get in a loan or, or something. It, it seems utterly bonkers. And as, as you say, I mean, you've used, um, you've used quite a, a long uh, uh, medical term there, of big injury. Um, but you're, you're right. They, they, Sam they, Pitcher they, that used big injury, not you know that. So Sam's words, not mine. He's the well, clinician yeah. around here. Yeah, no, exactly. So I mean, I, I bow to to him. I mean, he must. He's clearly got a doctor in something um, to be using such such big verbose um, language. But no, it, it, you're right. There are big injuries abound with, with him, and uh, and also uh, a couple of form dips. Let, let's let's have it right. So. I think it's uh, I think it's insane to, um, to it's, it's big insane to go to um, to go into the season 
with or the rest of this season with, with with the options we've currently got, it really it seems to me that again going back to what Adam said about the club saying we're not going to sell and we don't need to sell and you know we're going to be a stronger position, stronger stronger squad than we had before. Actually, are we in a better position than eighteen nineteen? I, I I don't think we are. Two have gone. Yes, okay, you can ask questions about one of them being at the same standard they were before and contributing as much in the last latter part of his time at the club than he did at the start. But even so, that's still two able-bodied humans that are no longer able to be a body for us. Um, and we've brought one in. So you don't need to be um, you know, uh, a big maths person uh, to do the big sums required to know that, that isn't, that's not as strong a position as it was. So, yeah, I, I was really surprised to... I was really surprised to read some of the, the local most ITK journos saying there's no plans to replace them that that seemed to be the message that came out at the same time because obviously they asked the question as soon as they heard it from the club okay so who's coming in then and they, they clearly were told rather resoundingly probably probably no one like I think Paddy had a line that they, they, that they might look to do a prem loan um uh but he seemed to be the only one pushing that uh so it's yeah. I, I can't believe we're not going to do it just a quick one on the prem loan and something else I've been thinking about like say if we had got the lad from Arsenal or the lad from Manchester City on loan who we were linked with in the last week and we've already got Skip from Tottenham who's only going to be here a year I'm not sure how comfortable I would feel if say that loan to centre-back became an integral part of the team but Mm. we definitely won't then have him for for the next season I'm already worried about that with Skip because he's integral to our side already and I'm already worried about uh, what do we do once he goes, we're going to have to find a replacement for him. So, yeah, I'd rather we just either buy somebody or or promote from the under-18s. You know, there's been a lot of chat about... Yeah, that um, was the point I was going to make is yeah. uh, you can you can pronounce his surname, go on. Um, I need to get it up first. <laughs> oh, I think it's Omobama... Omobama Deli. Omobama Deli, I think. It would That'll be. do. Omobama Delhi. Um, if if we can get him in the in the setup, it sounds like they really rate him at the club. Um, and and if that's the case, then you know I think I'd prefer giving him a go rather than um, go, going down the loan route because again, long term that causes a potential issue. Yeah, but the simple thing with Skip is you just uh, you root for Tottenham's midfield. Um, you know, the best thing that can happen is that uh, the, all of Tottenham's midfielders play really, really well and stay really, really healthy. Um, and Tottenham have a really good season, meaning that uh, uh, if we were to to go up um, or even, you know, stay where we are, but be there or thereabouts and want, want to carry on again with the same midfield next season, um, then another loan is available. Or maybe if we do go up, there is the option to buy because he still seems to be a couple of steps away from the, the starting Tottenham midfield. So that's what we all need to hope for. We all need to be Tottenham midfield fans. Yeah, very, I think, very, very I niche think type of football support. There's a lot of things that need to slide into place for for that to happen. And I, I do, I share Adam's concern in so much as you know we we've, we've probably only got this guy for a season. He looks a cut above. Uh, what we've had for for some time, you know, in terms of certainly in terms of progressing the ball forward quicker than, than many of the other defensive midfielders that that we've had, and actually with accuracy, uh, he's looked really effective in that respect. So I'd be worried because ultimately, if this is a team that we're 
we're trying to evolve and and make into a side which is is going to be more competitive either at the top end of the championship next season or you know kind of um mid-table in the premier league hopefully we're going to need permanent players that we can rely on and i just i can't see us having oliver skip this time next season but i'd love to be wrong Time for the Long Come Norwich quiz. As you all know, you have six uh, questions coming in the space of a minute. Uh, I'm going to start with Adam uh, as our returning guest. Uh, John Hunt is going to do the time. Use your passes wisely. I'm expecting big things. This is the easiest I've made the questions for many, many a time. These are questions like Christoph Zimmerman got, you know, what's your name, what's your birthday, stuff like that. Your time, Adam, starts. Now, name one of the only two members of the Norwich City squad with a triangle on their nation's flag. Uh, pass for now. Uh, who did Norwich sign Sebastian Soto from? Um, Hamburg? Nope. Who has squad number 26 this season? 36. 26. 26. Don't know. Uh, name a Brazilian to have played for Tottenham in the Premier League. Uh, Paulinho. Uh, correct. Uh, who was the first keeper to wear the number one for Leeds in the Premier League? The number one shirt for Leeds in the Premier League. Uh, the first or any? The first one. Um, John Lukic. Correct. Where does Stockport play their home games? Edgeley Park. Correct. Name one of the only two members of the Norwich City squad with a triangle on their nation's flag. This is shocking because I'm quite good at flags and I just can't time. think of any. Time, time, time. Uh, three out of six, which is very That's competitive. Uh, would either of you two like to go take, take a run at the, the, the triangle flag question? There's two Mary players. Mary surely. Mary Ranch. Yeah. So Bosnia's got one, yeah. Cuba's got yeah, right. one. And Cuba has got one for oh, everyone yeah, else. Well. Very good. There you go. Um, where good good John Lukic answer there, though, Adam. I, I appreciate that. Well played. 93 to 96. Um, Sebastian Soto came from? Hanover 96, was it? Oh, Correct. Hanover, uh, yeah. Squad number 26? No idea. Ballymumba. Bally Bally yeah. Okay. Uh, so, moving on to Maddie. Um, John Pump will do the time. Uh, your six questions start. Now, who's the only member of the Norwich City squad with green in their nation's flag? Um, Adam Eder. Correct. Where is goalkeeper Archie Mayer loaned out to? Pass. Name one of the Norwich City defenders to have been booked so far this season. Uh, Zimmerman. Correct. Who holds the record for the World Cup Finals goals? So the most goals in World Cup Finals together aggregate. Germany. Uh, no, sorry, a player. Sorry, oh, no, I don't have a clue. Pass. Okay. Which Balloon Door winning footballer has had a galaxy named after them? What? I don't, don't know. Pass. Uh, where did Goldchester United play their home games? Pass for now. Uh, where was goalkeeper Archie Mayer loaned out to? Is that Kings Lynn? It is Kings Lynn. Um, who holds the record for the most World Cup final goals of all time? Player. Yeah, don't know. Okay, which Balloon Door winning footballer has had a galaxy named after them? I'm saying Balloon, Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> where did Goldchester United Sorry. play their home games? Oh, I'm so <laughs> is, that, is it like Colchester Community or something like that? 
Yeah, I'm afraid it is Colchester Mir- Community. Mir- Miroslav Closer is the... Um, yeah. Miroslav Closer is well, correct, yeah. I'm never yeah. going to get that in a million years. No. What's the Galaxy one? Ronaldo uh, Gal- Messi, surely. It is Ronaldo, yeah. Uh, oh, so hell. in 2015, someone named Galaxy uh, 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 Cosmos Redshift 7... Uh, for CR7, which is his little, you know, logo moniker thing. Of course. Someone needs yeah, to... I... Yeah, sorry about that. Well, they're, doing, they're discovering what's galaxies, the, so they're probably the Colchester doing more of their life than I am. current stadium or the old stadium? Uh, Colchester Community Stadium is oh. the answer on, on the card. Uh, and we unfortunately, you got it after the time. But you're currently in the joint lead with three. Sweet. So, John, your time, three, two, get to the tiebreaker, starts now. Who is the only member of the Norwich City squad with no white or black as a main colour on their nation's flag? Pass. Uh, where did Norwich sign Jacob Sorensen from? Um, how do you say it? Esberg? Yep. Who has squad number 19 this season? Oh, fuck. Pass. Who, which, was, which was the first team England played after World War II, beating them 7-2? Cheers for that, mate. Pass. Uh, Messi wore the number 930 at the start of his Barker career and is now number 10. What is the other number he has worn for the club? Um, seven. No. Where did Oxford United play their home games? Uh, Manor Park. No. Uh, who is the only member of the Norwich City squad with no white or black as the main colour of their nation's flag? Bloody hell. Defender. Um, Red and yellow. Continue. Yes. Um, who has scored number 19 this season? It's not Skip, is it? No. It's my time. Time's up, anyway. Okay. Uh, two Sorensen out of six. 19. I know, I know, Sorensen is I know 19. the messy one. That's 19. It is, yeah. Um, probably so you getting hints for the flag one. And when well, I say I mean, probably, he... I mean, absolutely am not shocked. The, the flag I mean, he... one is difficult. It, it, on the spot. I'm rubbish at flags I, I as well. I can't. I'm... I, I've always been quite good at flags, but on the spot, I just I panicked. Love flags. I couldn't think. I couldn't even think of any flag in my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, but it, it, well, I think the thing is the reason Mad I gave. I started to give him a bit of a clue is that he had a few seconds left, and he only had one out of six. And I do love as much tiebreaker action as possible. Loves but it. we've got one anyway. Um, oh, so, the, do, do you know the answer to Oxford United's home stadium? Kassan, isn't it? Yeah, it is Kassan, uh... yeah. And that is the attendance that I'm after for the tiebreaker. So without Googling it at home, um, what is the attendance of the Kassan Stadium? Uh, I'll take your answer first, Maddie. The capacity, you mean? Yeah, uh, oh, yeah, sorry. Capacity is another way of saying attendance if you're not, you know, an idiot. Uh, 12,000. Okay, and what about you, Adam? I was going to say around that as well. I'm going to go 11,500. Maddie is our winner. It's 12,500. Champion um, day. So very good work, Madster. Thank you ever so much for your expert opinion, analysis and punditry, Adam. Um, John, I acknowledge that I've got your number in my phone. Thanks for listening, everybody. Look forward to the game on Saturday. Enjoy it however you can consume that content and mind how you go. 